Did you know you can support your local independent bookstore and me in my efforts to promote books that feature women in aviation by shopping for your next aviatrix read on the Literary Aviatrix website? I built the website to serve as a central source to search and find books featuring women in aviation, and it was important to me to offer you the opportunity to buy from independent sellers. If the book you're interested in is available on bookshop.org, you'll find a link to purchase through my affiliate account on my website, which means I'll receive a small portion of the sale to support the content you love. Blue skies and happy reading. Hello and welcome. I'm Liz Booker, Literary Aviatrix, and I'm excited to celebrate the launch of a new book for younger readers, The Firsts, Women Pilots and How They Changed the Airlines by Mary Bush Shipko. The book is available for pre-order now and launches on the 1st of June. Mary, welcome. Thank you. We've been running in the same circles for a while. You've been participating in our writers group and our book club discussions, and I've seen you at WAI. So it's super fun to have you on today. And I'm really excited. Congratulations on this new book that you're launching. Can you give us a synopsis? Thank you. Yes. Well, the first, Women Pilots and How They Changed the Airlines. It is an exciting look into the lives and history of some of the first permanent women airline pilots. The core of the book follows the lives of six of the early women pilots. There are also chapters on the African-American women airline pilots and the international women airline pilots. And the book, and at the last chapter, is a look at the changes and opportunities for young women today. I also included an airplane legend because the book is for ages 12 and up. Okay. that I know. I thought that it was great the way that you explained some of the things that go on in aviation for a younger audience. I even think that it could be readable for even younger than 12, but with some caveats, which we'll get to in a little bit. So why did you write the book, Mary? I wrote it to preserve our story. Like if you or someone else is walking through an airline terminal, or maybe you have a woman airline pilot on your flight, And you think to yourself, well, I wonder when they start hiring women airline pilots. This would be the book you would want to read. Absolutely. And and so you said it was for a younger audience. And and why were you targeting sort of early teen with this book? I'd like to inspire women, young women to be airline pilots. My children's book, which I will talk that about that later, it has in the back, it has pathways to become an airline pilot, and it also has tips, things that you can start to do as early as elementary school to develop a background, because I think this is the major thing that young, pe- young women are lacking. They don't develop a background early. Yeah, I think you're so right. And it was really exciting when I talked to Manisha Puri about what India has done to change that, how the ladies there are in the schools and and look at them. They have the largest number of airline pilots in the world with 12%. But you a moment ago, you said you would like to share our history. And when you say our, I know that that includes you. So tell us about you and your career. Yes. So I was one of the, those first women. I was one of the first women hired, airline pilots hired in the country. I began flying in 1964 in South Florida. In South Florida, I flew a variety of aircraft to mostly to the Bahamas and the Caribbean Basin, all the countries that ring the Caribbean Basin. So that included South and Central America. 
And I flew, I started out on single engines like everyone else does. But soon I gravitated to the medium twins and then the heavy twins and then the four engine transports. We were a very unique area and we had a lot of cargo companies. The area at Miami International that I flew out of was called Corrosion Corner. And I had the opportunity to fly out of that historic area. And we flew DC-6s and 7s and Constellations down to Aruba and Colombia and Guatemala and Panama, all over. So after I got my experience, I mean, people generally told me that airlines will never hire women. And our little cargo company even had a chief pilot, and he asked both national airlines and Eastern airlines, and they told him the same thing, that airlines will never hire women. But while one of my co-workers, another first officer, showed me a newspaper clipping in 1973 of a woman that was hired by an airline. So I knew then I could. So I went and finished my college education and applied to the airlines. I fit, I got an airline transport rating also. So I got hired in 1976. And so that's about all. It was hard to fit in and I wanted to tell. I write I write everyone's story in this new book. Yeah, that, so that's one of the things that I thought was an interesting choice from a craft perspective that you and I, we've seen it done in some other books about sort of collections of firsts. It's not, you know, it's never just one woman who is the first. It's sort of that wave of women who are scattered about trying to go through these things and break these barriers like all of you did. So you highlight six women, including yourself, and you talk about yourself in the third person, but you give equal play to the other sort of characters, the other pioneers, which I really loved. I loved reading about you flying around the Caribbean. That's kind of my stomping ground where I spent a lot of my career flying so I could really identify with those parts of it. But tell us about some of these other women I would like to tell you, there's Charlotte. Charlotte got hired with Southern Airlines. And she actually, her and I actually flew a DC-3 trip together in 1974. And that was a lot of fun. And then she, after I got hired with the airline, she saw that she could. So she went back and finished college and got on with Southern and then there's Nora. Nora flew with Flying Tigers. Nora flew out of the Alaskan bush for several years. And she wanted, she, she flew only passengers out of the Alaskan bush. And most of the passengers didn't want a woman flying them around, but they had no choice. And one time she flew a preacher on his preacher visits and he would get out and pray over the airplane before she flew. And at first she didn't mind too much, but then, you know, it got to get to her that he had to pray. <laughs> yeah, that was a little strange. Although, she, you know, maybe like, like you said in the book, maybe he prayed for every flight, not just because he was flying with a woman. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. And that's one of the interesting things. So we talked about Charlotte. There are four others that you highlight in depth and then and I, we could talk more about them, but I want to kind of get into the meat of this. And and that's that this book like so many others uh, really there are parts of it that are very heavy to be honest, even for somebody who didn't experience the extent of the things that you all went through starting your careers in a in an unknown unknown territory, you know, these common themes of harassment, discrimination and feeling excluded. And uh, it gets a little heavy at times, but you lighten it up with some fun stories here and there. But kind of talk about why you thought it was important for an, a, a younger audience to get the level of detail on those things that you offer in the book? 
Well, I think it's, I mean, if it's history, I think it's important to understand just how difficult it was to break a gender barrier. So one of the things that surprised me was when I finished this book, I had to say to myself, my goodness, in the last 15 years, we've had just a tremendous time when women's rights and opportunities have been afforded to us. So I wanted to be sure to say that. And I I started thinking, like, was there another time in history where these 50 years have afforded us such uh, opportunity and rights? And the answer is no. And then Mm. I thought to myself, well, well, when did this all started? And so you'd have to identify the Seneca Convention of 1848 as the beginning because they asked for, they started to want the vote. They wanted to have more women's rights. Well, you know, that took 70 years. We finally got the vote in 1920. And then what happened not too much after that until 1964, and that was the Civil Rights Act. And that did give us, that did give all of us equal opportunity and opened all of the jobs that were once closed that were male-dominated only. However, it took another almost 10 years to actually get women into those jobs. And it took more than that, more than just us. It took some laws and the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission was going to come out with a ruling that said that in that companies had to have 10% minority. And that's really why we started to get hired. So, I mean, it would be nice if it was just all of our hard work and preparation, but that would be shorting all of the work that all of the women did before us. And I do think it's important that younger people know that. So there was a Roman philosopher named Seneca, and he said that we, meaning all of us, including yourself, that we were at the corner of opportunity and preparation, and that equaled luck. So I, I don't know if we would, you'd call us lucky, but we were in a way because the women before us, 10 years before us, they couldn't get hired. And, and Emily tried, I don't, in my book, but I tell the story about she started trying in 1968. So I think this is a very important history that young women start to under, un, understand that, you know, they are living in a very blessed time. I agree with you. And I love actually, this is starting to be a little bit of a trend in, in the books. I just interviewed Eileen Bjorkman about her new book, which is Fly Girls Revolt. And it is about sort of the the evolution from the WASP all the way to the repeal of the combat exclusion law, which is really important for military women. But what she did in her book was she bridged that that time period between World War II and the time that women were going to the military academies. And I love that you provide this context too to recognize that yeah, yeah, you you are our pioneers and we look up to you, but not to forget all of those women who came before to set the framework for you to be able to go through those doors that were open to you. So, and then, and then the things that you did, the sacrifices that you made and the trials that you went through were really impactful and and universal. <laughs> it, there was nobody who was immune to them at that period. No woman was immune to those experiences from what I've seen so far. And one of the things I also liked is the way that you carried it forward to the long lasting impact that ha- I don't see that done a lot in our books, the lasting emotional and psychological impact that those experiences had on all of you. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? 
Well, all of us didn't necessarily, the early women pilots, the very first ones at their airlines, all of us didn't necessarily have get to have that 30-year career that we envisioned. So for myself, I took an early retirement as as well as some of the others did, but Emily was impacted by deregulation, but she still had a wonderful, wonderful outcome on her very, one of her very first trips. The captain told her not to touch anything that he considered women pilots in the cockpit dangerous. And at the end of her career, she was working for the FAA riding jump seat, grading people on their cockpit resource management, specifically on their communications with each other. So, Yeah, I loved that. She came full circle and was able to absolutely positively impact the culture that way. We're talking about Emily Warner, who is... I guess has been recognized, you said by the Smithsonian as the official first. That that question of first is really interesting, right? Yes. And uh, also, of course, we I do recognize in the introduction, the woman that was hired in 1934 briefly. But they did say that Emily was permanent because she had a long, all of us had a long career. And the other woman who her name escapes me right this second was was not allowed to stay. I I'm glad that you mentioned that you think the book is appropriate for 12 and up. I think I when I started reading it, I thought it was absolutely written in a way that was accessible to younger readers, to middle grade, you know, 8 and up. But with the caveat that later in the book we get into some like I said some heavy stuff like the, you know, all of you encountering pornography in the aircraft and the sexual harassment. And so I would just caution parents or or anyone who's buying it for a younger reader, just know that those things are in there. They're not graphic in any way. They are, I, I thought you did a very good job of describing them as bullying, you know, and kind of trying to explain them in the most benign terms. But yes. yeah, yeah. So I am somebody who has benefited from all of you firsts in my own way, but that does not mean that I didn't encounter, you know, lighter versions of these things. And there was one paragraph, I'm going to have you do readings later, but there's one paragraph that I thought you did a really good job of, of describing what it felt like to be and other in a community where you were there because you were excited about aviation. You just wanted to have a, a career and do the job. And not only, you know, did people try to make it difficult in the cockpit for you, but they also just made your life hard in like your social community of work. And so I'm going to just read this paragraph. I thought it was really well done to explain to sort of a younger person and who can relate to it. So this is from Nora. And Nora is the one, right, who was the Flying Tiger pilot from Alaska. Most people can relate to the loneliness of being left out of a group, especially when you're trying so hard to fit in. These attitudes from the men pilots kept Nora from something she wanted, to belong. She wanted to be a part of the group of instructors. She wanted to hang out with them at the end of the day and exchange stories, jokes, or new teaching ideas, but the men didn't want to include her, and it was all because she was a woman. There was no other reason. And that is just indicative of even experiences now, I think, still in some areas. Do you want to say anything about that? Well, I mean, laws and policies have really helped all the women, but you can't change everyone's hearts and minds. You can only change exactly. their outward behavior. Exactly. Yep. I totally agree. So toward the end, there are a bunch more things that I want to talk about, but toward the end of the book, you kind of, you paint, a, you know, referring back to what I just said about my own experiences, which are far more recent and the experiences of women right now, you kind of paint a rosy picture about 
the industry now and it is much better, obviously, because like you said, there are controls in place for outward behavior. But I still am hearing about people encountering sexual harassment. And so you kind of, you kind of paint this picture of like the things that happened in 1991 with Tailhook and Anita Hill sort of really shifting the culture. And I'm sure they did. But then we have the Me Too movement happening, you know, in the past five years. So what do you think? Like, do you, do you really think we've solved all of the problem, all of the problems? Cause I don't, I'm not sure that we have. What are your thoughts? So, uh, so when I was hired, there was just a few other women pilots in the whole country and worldwide, there was probably less than a dozen. Yeah. And today we have over 5,000 in the United States and 10,000 worldwide, but that's less than 7%. Mm-hmm. So, well, what's a reasonable person to think? Do you think we've changed everyone's hearts and minds when right. we're only 7%? But yeah, right. I do think, I will say that every single airline that I know has a lot of policies and procedures, mm-hmm. and they try very hard. And most of the airlines that I know of have tremendous opportunities and financial aid for women who want to become their airline pilot. I agree. That is true. There is a big push in the industry for that. I will say, though, that in, in the cases where people experience negative things like sexual harassment and report it that I don't think we've quite figured that out yet because typically the person who does the reporting ends up getting raked over the coals at the same time. So hopefully we will. I wouldn't recommend reporting because um, so as long as we're talking about that, I'm just going to talk about it a minute. The military is different and you have, I remember when I read the book about the hidden figures, that's the name of it. And Mm -hmm. I was struck with how much more equality and fairness you had in the military way back then. But the airline is union and everyone gets a seniority number and it's very, very union. And so Mm -hmm. I still don't think that it's such a good idea to report it because you're going to bear the brunt. However, what I would suggest is couldn't you discuss it with a mentor? How about you always have a good mentor and maybe their wisdom could help you? No, you're saying no? No, I I don't disagree with the mentor question at all. No, I totally, you definitely have to have people you can trust. And now it shouldn't be that hard to find someone that you can trust because we're so connected in this world. But one of the the nuances here that I'm just kind of paying attention to Carlene Pettit and her little campaign to make some changes in the industry as well. And this idea that there are, that the women who are working for the companies right now can't talk about it, you know, outside the company. So I, I I think that's, I mean, that happens in the military too. You know, they tell you not to talk about it in public, but I just think that inhibits transparency around it. You know what I mean? Maybe it does inhibit transparency, but maybe we should go back to what I said a few minutes ago. We're we're less than 7%. Maybe we have to get bigger numbers. Oh, I agree with that. Absolutely. And I'm here to, I'm here to champion that as well, for sure. Yeah. And so also the thing that I learned later in my life is to work, is to look within myself and see if I can think of something I could do differently to have a better outcome to the situation. And I was very hurt. You could say I was angry after I left the airline for a long time. You could say, I I know I wore out a couple friends complaining. And then in 2009, I went to a reunion and they 
not only did they give me a standing ovation, but they apologized. I mean, I had so many people apologize to me for the treatment I received. Now, I'm not going to say that the person that gave me the treatment apologized to me. I'm not going to say that. I don't know. But I know, I guess one of the things I learned is if someone's given you a hard time, you might address them directly and see if you make, if you have a better outcome. Yep. I have experience with that myself. And this just really interesting to hear you talk about that experience of people apologizing for your, for what you went through. Cause I am going through that interesting experience myself right now about some things that happened in my career where I have people approaching me and, and letting me know that they, they knew what was happening, which is a little bit of validation, right? Oh, tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really interesting. Well, and hopefully it, it helped you heal quite a bit. Well, today I feel whole and I didn't feel whole for a long time. Oh, that's wonderful, Mary. That really, actually, that warms my heart. I'm glad to hear that. So I hope people continue to say, apologize to you. But I mean, that was one of the shocking things, too. If you look over the last 50 years, we really have had a cultural change. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe not everyone's on board yet, but... Yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah. I keep hearing from people, you know, people change. I'm like, "Mm, yeah, I mean, I've changed, but you know, when you're exposed to someone's behavior repeatedly for a really long time, it, it, and that's, those are your memories and that's your experience of them. It can be hard to let that go, but I'm glad to hear that you've been able to figure that out. That makes me so happy. There's a chapter in the book about Zonta you and your your fellow your peers who were scattered about the country all got together at a Zonta event and I just wanted to say I was recently introduced to Zonta because I was asked to speak at a local chapter Amelia Earhart observance and so I learned all about them I thought that was really cool and then you that chapter you kind of explain the birth birth of ISA 21 and I thought that was so great I learned something new I didn't I never knew what the ISA was about the international standard atmosphere so tell us a little bit about it So uh, we did get together, and that was the first time really at that Zonta meeting that there were several women all in the same room that were spending the weekend at the hotel, and we enjoyed so much each other's company that we decided to form our own organization, and I happened to be based in Las Vegas, so I went home to go ahead and make the conference. And then a couple other women sent out letters. And on that particular day, when we got together, there were 21 of us. And so we did, we, we did what the 99s did. There were 21 women that showed up. So we kicked around a long time what to name us. And we named us ISA after the aviation term, and it was stood for us. It stood for International Society of Women Airline Pilots. I love it. And uh, and so maybe I can talk about this now or later. This What's was, that? we were in 2018, we were going to have our 40th anniversary. And I recommended that we make this book of flying stories. What's, yeah, so what's it called for people who are listening? Women Who Fly. And there's 36. We sent out a flyer to every member. We have over 700 members to send in the flying story. And we had 36 members send in their flying stories. And we have some really good ones. Let me just share a couple from the table of contents. We have that Aloha Flight 243, Mimi Thompson's member, the Top of the airline, the airplane flew off. I don't remember that. No. Wow. Yeah. Well, that you would like to read that. 
And they were on, they were on final, I believe, to one of the out islands and the whole top of the airplane tore off. That's terrifying. And well, I'll let you read the story. And I love this one from Russia with love. She was flying a can from Canada to Asia and they had all their, the, all their toilets stopped up. So no one could use a toilet with, they had like 300 passengers. Ugh. So they had to make a emergency landing in Russia and they were very nice and helped them and gave them some fuel and sent them on their way. <laughs> and there's just a lot of really good flights. I put two in here and I love this one. You were talking about India. Okay. Yes. India's very first woman airline pilot owes a debt of thank you to the women in 99s here. She has thanked them. Yeah. The whole story's in here and it's really wonderful. It's, she tells about how she wanted to fly and how, you know, no one could help her learn there. So she wrote, I, I think she wrote to Wally Fink and another woman and they opened yeah. not only their homes and their hearts, but their airplanes. I know. So that was another story that we got to read in Manisha's book too. I was so excited about that to hear that she flew with Wally Funk. Amazing. And I'll, you know, that that's just a testament to these organizations and the incredible impact that you can have, you know? Yeah. One of the things that you talked about as ISA was getting going. I, I loved this because it it also, again, you've kind of captured something that I observed or experienced from the women who went before me. And that was just, and, and we would just call, say that they had just fought so hard that they they didn't know how to to mentor and network. But here here's how you put it. You said, for some in the group, friendship got off to a slow start. Many of the women had survived the brutal cockpit environment by building walls around themselves emotionally, and they weren't going to immediately let the, let down their guard. And that is definitely something I have seen in my experience as a next, not a first, with the women who were senior to me in the military. They had just fought so hard that they just didn't know how to, they didn't have the tools to open up that way. Yes, I agree. And I probably had a few Paul walls built around me. But before I leave this, I want oh, to mention I, I just want to mention one thing that if you're an aspiring woman pilot or you, you know, you should go to our website, ISA, International Society of Women Airline Pilots, as a and go to memberships and you do not have to be a pilot, a woman, an airline pilot. As an aspiring pilot, you can sign up to be a member, you can come to our events and sign up for our scholarships. And we give away $75,000 a year. That's amazing. So, and, and of course, we have lots of mentors. And yeah, I really cherish now that I'm on a bunch of different teams. Like I, I play in an orchestra, I play the second violin. And, you know, it's fun to be on the whole team now. Yeah, where I was used to just being me. Yeah, so that was another drawback. So I got to the airline and everyone saying, "Oh, you did this, you did this," and so I was just I was thinking, "Oh, I did it all myself." And of course, by and by, I realized that being too independent is not a goal, and right. not and so. We want to strive to be right in the middle. We want to, we strive we want to strive to be interdependent, not too dependent and not too independent. I love and that. I think that's what I strive for today, and I find it a much richer life. Oh, that's wonderful! I love that. So, is there anything else you wanted to say about this book before we talk about your other books? Well, I want to say that. All of these women were on a hero's journey. Yes. Pro Prometheus was changed to a, just, they were heroes, just like Prometheus. And they were chained to, Prometheus gave the humans fire and he was chained to a rock. 
And all of these women that we've been talking about stepped outside of the traditional woman role and they were chained and they were punished for it. So I think it's really important to recognize that maybe they sometimes were a little hard, but rightfully so. Yeah, absolutely. Deservedly so. This is a living book. I did want to say that. I, If you are the first woman airline pilot at the, your airline and you're not in this book, I, I'd love to hear your story. And my email is at the back of the book. My email is at, at the back of all my books. And send me your story. Oh, that's wonderful, Mary. I really love that too. There are a whole bunch of women out there who haven't told their stories yet. And if they're not going to do it themselves, then it would be wonderful if they would include it in a collection like yours, because we want to know them. But this is not your only book. So tell us about your others. Okay. So my first book that started my journey, writing journey is also back there. It's Aviatrix and it's my memoir. And it's a first-person historical account of breaking a gender barrier, of becoming one of the first women airline pilots. Kirkus Review, which is a reviewing company out of New York, says it is a unique and engaging memoir balancing personal story with broader social themes. And I've had... I've had many women come up to me at events and said after they've read it and they've said they've thanked me for giving them a voice. Yeah. So that's very special to me. Yeah. That so that point right there, I think I just wrote something about that, about the the stories that are included in the canon of books featuring women in aviation are a small representation of common experiences across our community. And that for our allies, our male peers, to be well-informed, it would behoove them to read our stories because you are one who has elected to make your experience public and, and use your voice, but you represent many others who have chosen not to do that for whatever reason. And we respect that choice, but, but we need to recognize, we as a community need to recognize that these, are, these experiences are not isolated incidents, that they are a common experience across our community. So, so th- thank you. I have, you know who really, you know what, what men, men who really love this book are, were the enlisted men. <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But I've had, I've had commanders and airline pilots say that they recognize my story. Yeah. Good. So I did write it, you know, for, I mean, if you haven't had a chance to read it and you read it, you'll see that I have a chapter in here called a few good men. Yeah. And at the back of the book, I have an appendix of the men that I used to fly with, both in Florida and at the airline. And there's some very nice letters from them, oh, letters from coworkers. Because I was like most of the other women, I was a little scared to write my story. So for fear of backlash. But then interesting, and here I have, so after the Civil Rights Act of 1991, some of the women I knew took their case to the airline for pornography and other sexual harassment, and they won court judgments. And they're in the back of my book. I have an appendix of three of them that's very interesting, other cases. Yeah. So... It's a you, it's an interesting book. It has all the laws and how it affected me and the other women. Why the wasps didn't get to become airline pilots. Right. Because they were probably the rightful heirs. Right. Right. 
rightful heirs for the airlines, rightful heirs for the first female pilots in the military. Absolutely. I agree. <laughs> yep. And then you have a children's book. Yes. Like a young, well, young reader book. Yes. So when I, when I went to a lot of the author corners and when I'd speak around the country, a lot of people would ask me if I had a children's book or they'd want to buy my memoir for a children. And I'm not going to stop them from buying it, but it really is not a children's book. So I wrote Daring Mary and Daring Mary is a picture book. And each page has, has my, is a turning point to going to the airlines. So it starts out, the Coast Guard told me no. You were three years too early with the Coast Guard. Yeah, they said, well, what's your name? And I said, Mary. He was on the phone with me and he comes back and he says, well, I think we have a problem. I said, what's the problem? And he said, what's your name? And I said, Mary. He said, that's the problem. Don't hire women. But anyways, I keep going until I finally get hired. I get all that heavy transport experience. And then I get hired by the airlines and I put in here, yeah, this is the final page. Oh, this is how it ends. So it's a happy book and it shows how many women today. And then this is where I have how you can become an airline pilot and things that you can do. Yep. That's so great. So tell us really quick how you published all these books. Well, I self-published. So I wanted to tell you about my writing journey first. It took me four years. Took me four years to write this and about 30 years of perspective. Yeah. So I just wondered how could I write an interesting story about someone who'd been given a lot more opportunity than most people. I didn't want to have it just to have a lot of complaining. So I had to think a long time and I started to write. I find writing extremely hard. I did read that it was described to me as blood droplets on paper. Yeah. And I can identify with that. Yeah. So So I think about what I want to say and I write that down so it doesn't get lost. And then as I write, as I form my ideas, I try to make an outline. And then I just, I go, I start writing and I take one chapter a week to a critique group or maybe half a chapter. And before I joined a a critique group, I kept throwing it away because I think, oh, who would want to read this? This is so dumb. And so really I credit with my critique group with having let me finish the book. Oh, that's wonderful. Constantly deleted. That's wonderful. And then once I get a book together, I do have an editor that I pay and she I think she's very good. I don't always agree with her, but I do I do follow what she says. And when I first published my this book, I had five free days and it I downloaded they they I had over forty thousand downloads the first five days. Oh wow, Mary. And then I, I feel like I gave away my whole book. Yeah. Would you do that again? No, but I did you know, I thought, oh, I'll have like 4,000 reviews, right? 10%. Oh, right. Yeah. But I have 250 reviews, which yeah. is still very acceptable. It's pretty good. And I had some really top reviewers, like the top 100 Amazon reviewers. Yeah. So, but you know, the, this book helped me heal. I yeah. mean, it really opened my door to rethinking things. I mean, I I was always under the impression that those men were mean to me and someone has to apologize to me. But 
when I really started to think about it, I did start to think that there were things that I personally, I might've had the same outcome because it was very long ago, but I still feel that there were things I personally could have done. So it was a growing experience, but mm-hmm. also I've enjoyed going to EAA, EAA and WAI. The men and women there have been so kind. I mean, I know that they probably don't realize their few kind words have made such an impact on my life, but they have. Oh, man, Mary. You're... This is inspiring in its its own special way to hear you talk about that journey of healing. It really is. Yes, I'm really very, very grateful to every single person in the aviation community that has treated me more like a pioneer than I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't always think of myself in that way. So, okay, so I launched the book and then you, that's just really the start of things for me because then you have marketing and in marketing, you'll do interviews. I also pay for advertising. I also will do some groups that advertise your book if they're not too expensive on their website. You, I can do a podcast and then some of my friends who have websites They do author interviews to have something that they always do on their website. Yeah, like a blog. Yeah, like a blog. Yeah. Yeah. And then I have a friend, she 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 writes on her blog every single week. So if you're gonna do that, have a blog. But any any social media stuff you do, you have to do constantly. Oh yes. I have learned that for sure. <laughs> but I do think I do think that all of the social media including Amazon and Facebook are really wonderful because they really get our message out there. Yeah. You have access to the audience that way. That's wonderful. Well, before we wrap things up, were there so I have I have decided that especially based on the things that you've said that I would like to read the open letter, but do you have any readings that you would like to do before we wrap up? No, I just want to say that I hope I've said something helpful or at least inspirational to your listeners and my readers. And be sure to come by the author corner at EAA or WAI and say hello to me. Absolutely. It's lovely to see you. I I won't make it to EAA, but I will see you again at WAI next year. Well, Mary, we know that your book is available for pre-order now. It is the first, The Women Pilots and How They Changed the Airlines for Young Readers. And it's available on June 1st. So everybody go get a copy of that book. Before we wrap up, based especially on some of the things that you said today, I want to read some of this letter and I'll read the whole thing and then we'll edit out if we want. So this is Appendix A from your book, The Firsts. And I just, it really struck a chord with me in terms of honoring people like you who broke down the barriers for us. An open letter to the women of firsts by Jessica Rutenberg from her blog, Hidden Barriers. In every career field, there is a generation of firsts followed by a generation of next. The security of opportunity afforded to the next generation is possible by the hardships endured by the women of firsts. Although I am a woman of Next, a woman of next, a second generation wave. I was raised by the generation of firsts. I can look to my left and see beyond the perseverance of accomplished women that marked their place in history to the pain of a generation of women who suffered in silence. Survival was priority. Complaining was never an option. 
Then I look to my right and see the women of next and even the beginning of a third generation that is hopeful and not defined by gender. They at times take for granted the opportunities open to them. Unlike the firsts with their keep my head down and excel mentality, the nexters believe without question there is no reason they cannot achieve their desired success. Because of the path cleared before them, they make no apologies speaking up to remove any barriers in their way. But the truth is that not all barriers are so obvious. They are hidden and often undetected by the women of next. Their insidious nature can make progress even more difficult, often manifested as a subtle imposter syndrome rather than a direct assault. To the women of first, thank you will never be enough. We see you. Some of you have ascended into positions of power, as few of you as there are. You hide your scars well and often play down your pain. Your generation taught you that standing out on the smallest of manners as a woman had the potential to take away from your power and bring question to your competence and accomplishments. Each of you have adapted in your own way. Some assimilated into the collective that resented your mere presence, or perhaps some of you now carry the sword and shield as a pathfinder for others. Many of you didn't ask to be firsts. You simply wanted to pursue your passion, and along with it came the burden of discrimination and bias. Thank you, Mary. Yes, I think that's so beautifully written. It is so beautifully written. Yeah, it's, ex- it's exactly, well, it's just beautifully written. So I'm glad yeah. you like it too. I do. And I'm glad that you put it in the book. Well, congratulations, Mary. And thank you so much for everything that you went through, everything that you have done to heal yourself and then to give that message to the world. And thank you most importantly for your books, including the one that's coming out now. Well, thank you and see you at WAI. See you there. Thanks so much for listening. I'd like to thank Shastaways and Michael Wilds of the Women's Soar Group for their help producing this interview. The Women's Soar Group is a media company that gives women a platform to express themselves. Blue skies and happy reading. Thank you.